Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring him pleasure. Happy musing. I've been thinking a lot about biblical worldview and how important it is to, uh, for us to have the standard of God's Word, you know, in our hearts. And, and there's two Psalms that I want to talk about, one today and one uh, next Sunday, uh, Psalm 19 today, and then Psalm 119. I think it's just coincidental, but they, they're really very, very similar uh, in their theme, all about God's Word and the truth. And remember when Pilate said uh, to Jesus, what did he ask Jesus about truth? What is truth? Well, really the question I want to ask is, is uh, where is truth? And, and uh, how, do, how, do, how do people find it? And then what do you do with it once you get it? So where is it? And the importance of God's word is as food to us. And the mother brought the child to the doctor and, and said, he's got, a, uh, he's got a carrot up his nostril and a, and a piece of chicken in, in, in one ear and an olive in the other. And she said, you know, doctor, what do you think is uh, wrong with him? He looked at him and he said, well, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I may need to run some tests but just to make sure, but I, I, it seems to me like the boy is not eating properly. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's, that's the case. So where's the truth and how do we assimilate it and how do we get it in and eat it right? And this psalm particularly, can you see two halves in this psalm or really two main themes of God revealing himself in this psalm? Take a look in your Bible there and see if you can't find the first general theme and then the second general theme. Do you see how God is revealing himself gradually in this? It's a you know, progressive revelation is how God reveals himself progressively to us as individuals and through history. And the first way that he revealed himself uh, to us is through the what? The world, through creation, through his artwork. And the second way and more specific is through his word, so through the world and through the word. And one is ambient light. The, the world is kind of ambient light uh, that shows us the, uh, the divine nature of God. But then there's a laser light through God's word and through Christ coming and, and through the gospel of Jesus is, the, is a laser light. One is a general revelation. Another is more of a specific revelation of himself. He scatters truth all over the place so that we'll get to know him. I mean, that's the God, that's the God who wants to be known. He's not, he's not, well, there is a hide-and-seek game going on, but it's not him hiding. It's us hiding and him seeking us. He scatters truth all over the place, and, and he wants us to, to follow the trail back to him. And, and so the first six verses here is about this ambient light, this uh, general kind of light. And if you want to look on the inside of your bulletin, there's a little uh, half sheet there. It'll give you some places to take notes. So let's talk first of all about finding the truth in God's world, in God's world. Because in verses 1 through 6, he gives us this, uh, this idea that God is trying to reveal himself to, through his creation. And uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And how often, how often is God revealing himself through the world? How, what does it say there? How often is it? It's day after day, night after night. And, and, and how inclusive is it? How inclusive is this voice of God through his world, through his creation? 
It's all the earth and nothing is hidden from its heat. So in other words, the, the creation is like his signature. He's si and we live in his house. We've said this before, but we live in his house. Romans 1 tells us that we live in God's house and, and it's like going into Bill Gates' house and uh, being awed by, all, you know, one of his, well, I don't know, 20 houses or 30 houses or 100 houses, I don't know, but going into one of his houses and, and, and just assuming, it's awesome, but assuming that nobody lives there and that just, that just became to be and it, it, it evolved there on that hillside overlooking the, the ocean. Uh -huh. But God is able to, uh, to sign his creation and to leave evidences, little little uh, earmarks of who he is. If you go into Bill Gates' house, I'm sure that after a while you figure out, well, a guy made this and, and a guy put this together and, and, and maybe you'd even see his name or a plaque or something that would indicate this is his house. And Well, this is God's house and we live in his house and he's given us his, uh, a revelation of himself and evidences that he's the owner of the house. And you find a watch on the beach and, and you don't go, oh, wow, this is incredible. This, this probably over four billion years um, uh, evolved from a sundial made this way. And you don't just assume that. You just assume Timex. It says Timex. Somebody made the thing. And so uh, he's given evidences of himself in his world. And what a beautiful world we live in. Isn't it a beautiful world that we live in? And Romans 1 says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And so it's clear to us. In Acts chapter 14, verse 17, Paul said, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And he's talking to pagan people there. He says... God is providing your food and giving you good weather and, and giving you joy. What a cool thing that God gives joy to an unbeliever to, as an evidence, as a piece of scattered truth that he's trying to, to say, hey, I'm here and this is a little piece of what I want to give to you in relationship with me. And I think a lot of times we just think, well, you know, there's, you know, you, it, it, there's truth and it's only going to be found in, in my family Bible on my, uh, you know, coffee table in my house and but you know what? God is so intent on getting the truth out that he scatters truth a bunch of places. But that's still only ambient light. You, you don't see the heart of God so much through creation. You do see the divine, it says here, his power and divine nature. So then the next half of the, of the psalm is about finding God's truth in God's word. And in verses 7 through 11 especially, uh, what do you see in verses 7 through 11 is what is it called? What is God's word called in verses 7 through 11 there? Give me some sev several things that it's called. Law, precepts, statutes, commands, ordinances, judgments, and then the fear of the Lord. Isn't that an interesting uh, designation of God's word? That it's the... That, in other words, the word of God is the fear of God. Why would it be called that? And how, is that, how does that connect? You get in awe of God when you read his word and you see how big he is, or at least you, you, can, you can with Holy Spirit help. I'm more in awe of God the more I read his word. And so those are the things that it's called, but what's it like? It's it's, I'll give you the first one I'm saying, the law of the Lord is, it's perfect. So we know that God's word is perfect. 
and that even though it's an old book, uh, it's perfect book. It's a perfect book. What else is it do you see in that? It's trustworthy. What else? Right. Precious. Radiant. Fair. Pure. Sure. Sweeter than honey. Jewish tradition out of this passage is to teach children to memorize the word and give, give the child uh, a taste of honey in between uh, memorizations of verses to remind him or her, hey, you know what? It's even sweeter than that. Amen? The, the word of God is. And, uh, and then what does it do? I'll give you an example. It revives the soul. It revives the soul. How many of you have ever been revived by God's word? Just saved your life. You know, you just it, you're, had all kinds of stinking thinking that week and you just got into, it's God either gave you some, something from his word or you're just reading because you're devotionally reading the Bible every day. <clears throat> I said every day you're reading the Bible every day. And uh, so God spoke to you and revived you. What else does it do? Makes us wise. And it says makes wise the what? What kind of people? The simple. So it makes wise the simple. And the simple, that Hebrew word means like an open door. Like an open door. And the simple person, he's not talking about ignorant or not smart. He's just saying they don't, they, they've kind of always got the door open, not having enough uh, boundaries and not, uh, enough of a screening out kind of capacity. And God's word will show you, uh, you know, you're supposed to have an open heart, but not necessarily this open head so big that, you know, that it's so uh, open that your brains all fall out. So, and kind of an open, but more of a screening, a, an ability to screen out stuff, because the word does that, doesn't it? It tells us what's right and what's wrong, and you want to watch out for this. What else does it do? Gives joy to the heart, light to the eyes, it endures forever. It warns us. You ever been warned in God's word? And then there's great reward in it. Great reward. Okay? So, do you see ambient light, laser light? Do you see general revelation, more specific revelation of himself? God's really all about getting himself known. He wants to be known. He wants, to be, he wants us to know him. But then the last part of the psalm is, so what? Okay? So what do I do? Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. You know, either sin will keep you from your Bible or your Bible will keep you from sin, right? And so he's saying, you know, let me, let me apply the word. It's application. And uh, then I'll be blameless of, and innocent of great transgression. And, and uh, so I have this exercise video. And uh, they said, you know, if you get this, it's going to put you in the shape and, 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 and lose weight and all. And I just turned 50, and so I got an exercise video, right? And so I, oh, I let it out, didn't I? Oh, bummer. And so I got this video, and uh, so I decided, I'm, you know, and I watch it every night in my easy chair when I eat my ice cream. Because I'm just, man, it, nothing's happened yet, but I'm just going to keep doing this because consistency is important. And a lot of people do that. You know, I've got my Bible right on the coffee table there, or I've got my, ver my verses memorized, right? And, uh, but not really applying them in daily life and actually acting on them and, and doing it. So it's, it's important. You know, my, you know about my friend, many of you do, who uh, was killed working on the church building in Pacifica, the Lighthouse Christian Fellowship in Pacifica. His name was Ray Payton. He was a godly man, an elder in the church, 
uh, uh, Christian, but my, my same age in the Lord and same age of a man, and he has four children, four beautiful children that he taught the word to. Uh, they did a, uh, what's the program where they memorize the word a lot? Awanas. They did Awanas, and uh, they just got, I mean, way into it, and they won all the prizes their kids did, and now they're like 23 uh, down to uh, uh, 14. And when their, when their dad got killed that day, that very day, they sat together in their living room just absolutely shocked because he wasn't sick. He fell off of a scaffolding and died almost instantly. And uh, the, the, the young ones were, uh, they were just trying to communicate and the young ones were just quoting the word. The word of God just started coming out of them about heaven and about eternal life and about what life is about and what God says. I mean, as I heard these kids quote like, whole chapters of the Bible, you know, Ray would say, you know, uh, Andrew knows like Romans 6, do you want him to quote it? And I said, yeah, uh, I read it once, let me see, where is that, what's that about again? And, uh, but then they just, the word just came out of them in processing their dad's, their, the loss of their dad. Is that powerful? That's acting on the word, that's letting the word really get into you. I listened to a tape this week, somebody gave me a tape of a, of a message somebody gave, and it, <clears throat> I don't often have a reaction like this, but it, it, it concerned me that the thing that the brother was saying was right, but what he didn't say concerned me because of his audience and not because I'm smarter than him or, or, or anything like that at all. And I'm sure maybe in other times he'll, he'll, he'll uh, fill it out with some other stuff. But he said, and this is true, that God, uh, he didn't use this term, but scatters truth. Truth is everywhere and every, every, everything that's truth is God's truth and I totally agree with that. And he referred to P, uh, Paul uh, quoting pagan poets in, on Mars Hill and, and quoting pagan uh, prophets uh, to Titus and, uh, and you know, gleaning from them, putting a little spin on it and, and, and turning it into a biblical uh, revelation and there's some real truth in what he was saying and all that was right. My concern was that, uh, well, let me tell you what my concern was. You might want to fill in the blank here because here's my first asterisk. Truth is scattered deliberately as a trail back to its original source. So here's how I see it. Here's how I see it. Not from what this brother said, but this is how I, it got me to thinking that God deliberately deposits fragments of truth uh, everywhere. And, and, and it's like he... He just tosses it up there and, and t makes the whole full of little pieces of his truth, whether it's through creation or whether it's through some biblical revelation that got carried from one place to another without even anybody knowing it was a biblical revelation. And now this group of people has at least this little fragment. Why? Because he wants to be known. And the supernatural part is that when those pieces all come down, they, they form a trail back to the source. They form a trail back to God. That when God distributes divine truth in little pieces, they form a trail. They form a little arrow that says, you know, uh, this is how you get, like breadcrumbs. And uh, I, I, I mentioned this, uh, Acts 17, he, he, Paul preaches on that and basically says that. We have, like for instance, we, we, we had some uh, sunflowers grow. Uh, in very odd places in our backyard this last year. It was just odd. I mean, I said, Vicki, did you plant that? No, I don't remember planting that. Did you? No, I didn't plant that. And they're, these are odd. It's, but then I got to thinking, you know, Vicki really likes uh, birds. 
and she, she has these bird feeders, uh, tons of bird feeders, and she likes to watch the birds. It's all good. Thank you, dear. They make a mess. It's all good, but it, they, they sing and stuff. And, but one of the things she buys them is these like 50-pound sacks or 20-pound sacks of, of sunflowers. They like the sunflowers, and that's in the other part of the yard. So some nice bird, you know, ate on the deal and then flew over and deposited in this nice way some of those seeds, I guess, you know, or maybe from some other bird feeder or whatever. And I just see God super, and it's all good, but he, his supernatural ability to get truth places because he's, he's, he's not willing that any should perish. And so you shouldn't be stumbled when you, when you hear a little bit of truth from your psychology professor at, in college. You shouldn't be stumbled that, that uh, your, your, your skeptic history professor or your uncle that, that, uh, that is an agnostic or, or, or your, your friend who is a part of a, a cult even has a fragment of divine truth. Some of that, I think, got just, just uh, scattered there by a God who wants to be known. You shouldn't be freaked out. You shouldn't uh, feel like there is some tension between intellectual honesty and, and what you've been taught in the Bible. Like, if you hear something somewhere else, you shouldn't go, oh, I thought only my pastor knew the truth. I thought only, you know, I thought it was all right there. But no, God's been scattering it for centuries and helping people. But, but when God scatters it, it's always a, a path back to him. It leaves a trail. Here's my question. So if that's true, does where a person pick up a piece of, uh, a fragment of divine truth, and he found it in this area, does that legitimize that area in which he found it as a good source of truth? He found a piece Wow, look where I found it in the Mormon church. Or look where I found it, you know, in the, uh, the uh, Taoism class I, I was taking or uh, which, whatever. And, or I found it in my, you know, in Nietzsche or I found it in some psychology uh, context. Does that legitimize that context because there's a fragment there? No, God's not saying. So it doesn't matter where you find the truth. And this is what the brother didn't say. It doesn't, you know, God is not saying it doesn't matter where you find the truth. And so now it legitimizes that context in which you found it. This is my concern. When people do find truth someplace, they think, oh, cool. This is the place where people find truth now. No, you need to look for the trail. This is what we need to do as we're sharing Christ with people. Look for the trail. No, no, look a little further. You found that truth, and that's good. And Steve, you know, when we're witnessing to people, uh, a lot of times, I know you do this, you're looking for some sort of connect, like what is it that you believe about God that's right? And we can capitalize on that and say, you know what? God said that a long time ago in his word. And let me tell you something else about that love of God. Let me tell you another thing that will maybe be the next fragment of divine truth that will put you on that path to have a relationship with the Almighty. Amen? You see what I'm saying? And I, I think it's just the grace of God that he scatters it, but don't necessarily get fooled by the context in which you find it. And frankly, even though the, the church, Paul says, is the pillar and ground of the truth, I'm not the depository of all divine truth. Our church is not the depository of all divine truth, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's given us a, a, an awesome book that is the deposit. He is the giver of truth, and then he put it in a book, so this would be our plumb line, and this would be our, our, our level. You know, I'm, you know, many of you 
are very acquainted with me and know that I'm a real tool guy. <laughs> what are they laughing about? I don't get it. I'm a tool guy, and I, in my large as, uh, assemblage of tools, I have a level, and it's got these lines and a little bubble, and I have no idea how to use it, but it's a very cool thing. And it's like the Bible is that way. It levels, it doesn't actually change it. What it does, though, it shows you that what needs to be changed. A level uh, will do that, as God's word will do that. So God didn't intend us to stop and worship at that place. Like in Romans 1, chapter 1, where he said, um, they, ex they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator. So they found a fragment of divine truth and said, yeah, let's worship now the monkeys. Let's worship the sun or the stars or uh, the sky or the clouds. There's a hide and seek game going on. We're doing the hiding. He's doing the seeking. So he's throwing, he's throwing, what he's doing is he's throwing scattering truth into those hiding places of ours, but so we would find the trail back to him. And that's the kind of God he is. Amen to that? Is the truth also, not only is it deliberately scattered, but it's also insidiously scattered as a trap to keep people from the original source. And that would be by Satan himself. And scripture is very clear about the deceiver, the, the deluder and the diluter of truth. And I very seldom, I, I guess I get weary when somebody's ministry is all about fixing everybody else's theology. I just, to me, that's just not super edifying. So I very seldom do that. I very seldom, you very seldom hear me say, here's a theological premise that groups believe. And it is important to be discerning. It is important to know that Satan himself is, uh, is taking some of those, those fragments of truth, whether he disseminates them or they're, they're disseminated by God, and he's trying to you know, wipe away the, the, the trail. He's trying to keep the, you know, get the trail, the, eat the crumbs so that the trail isn't there anymore and so that people will get trapped in that system that they thought was legitimized because they found a fragment of divine truth there. Like, for instance, he says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. So it's not only that we should believe the truth, know the truth and, and believe it, but how many of you love the truth? I mean, just love it. Have a passion for the truth. Not just a passion to memorize verses so you can impress your Christian friends, but it's a passion because truth is truth is there is truth it's not all relative it's not only truth it's not my truth or your truth it's our truth you don't get to keep it's our truth it's not just mine or yours and truth is and we should love that truth that is and then this very strong verse in Timothy the spirit says clearly in later times people will abandon the faith and follow deceit look at how strong this is deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Wow. Strong terms about how Satan loves to twist and deceive, but he makes it palatable by having a little bit of truth in there. You know, a little bit of stuff about Jesus. You throw a little stuff, of, you know, about God in there and then surround it by a bunch of half-truths and lies. Now, that will mess you up. I mean, Paul says stuff like uh, to the Galatians that, uh, you know, who has given you another gospel that's, 
you know, even, even if an angel comes and gives you another gospel, don't believe it. And John talks an awful lot in 1 John about deception and testing the spirits to see whether they be from God. And then Paul says, talks about people that are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I'm just saying theological accuracy is important insofar it helps us to get to know God, not to impress our friends, not to just line up with our church or not to just line up with our favorite uh, preacher but so that we can have a, uh, we're following the trail to get to know God, not to impress people, but to be close to, to the Almighty. And he's distributed truth. He's scattered it as a trail back to him. And then the enemy uses that as well. So we have to be discerning and we have to read our Bibles from front to back. <laughs> 